You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Hi, it's Rob Brown here on the Success in Accounting podcast. And as part of our Accounting Influencers podcast network, with shows going out every day of the week, I am thrilled with to have with me today one of the legends and influencers of the accounting profession over the years. It's Terry Snyder. Hello, Terry. Hello, Rob. How are you today? We're fantastic. It's wonderful to have you with us, Terry. And uh, for those of you that know your background, you're ex-Alineal and ex-Arthur Anderson. For those that don't, just give us a potted history of you're 40, 50 years in the business, Terry, so people get a bit of context. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's uh, I actually just did this at the Box International Conference, so it's it's right at the top of mind. Started 19, it's actually 1970, I was an intern with Haskins and Sells. That goes a long ways back. Arthur Anderson for four, four and a half years. And then I went to a small firm, uh, you know, working a million hours. My wife and I decided to raise a family. We went to a firm that was about two million five in Champaign, Illinois. Grew it to about eight million plus, and merged it to McLadry back in the days where we really needed banking resources and tools, and did that for a while. Okay, did that twenty some odd years. Okay, and uh, through the McLadry migration, we, uh, you know, you saw the H and R Block piece, and there's a lot, a lot. I I transferred from just being a partner to a, a kind of a regional managing partner to uh, uh, when Anderson went, or when uh, McLadry went into the H and R Block mode. I left and went uh, kind of scattered around and did a little bit with with what was um, a company in Indianapolis at one time and pretty good size, 70 million, merged it to BKD and then left and went with Clifton Benderson and and then uh, came back and uh, uh, got into a little bit of an industry gig for a while because I wanted to find out if I could actually manage a company and then ended up with, uh, if you can imagine this, I was a president of a bank for a couple of years and uh, uh, then went to a lineal for 12 years and did that. So I really wanted to do some kind of get get from the profession i want all the advice i'd given clients rob i wanted to know if i could give advice to myself take my own advice right and build a business and i it was a, a, a it was a software a box software business you remember those days we took it from uh 20 million to about 125 million and uh and so that just building it and finding out if i could actually take my own advice was was one of those rare experiences Ended up then as a president of a bank thinking I was retiring, found out that I was being bored and went down to a lineal in Atlanta and went through the stages of a lineal where we were PKF North America, became a lineal global and grew it to almost 4.3 billion, which was fun. I mean, great people, worked with great people, great ideas and timing was right and enjoyed it and finally retired just about two years ago, a little less than two years ago. So. And now I'm just now I'm consulting and and enjoying sharing what I've learned in 50 plus odd years of everything. So. Well, you've certainly <laughs> learned a few things that worked over the years. And uh, shout out to Mark Koziel, who's been on the show as well. He's a great friend of ours, and he's done a great he's done a great job. Terry, what kind of shape do you feel the accounting profession is in right now? There's a lot going on, isn't there? Yeah, I, I, what 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 interests me the most is accounting firms are trying to solve. I, I think uh, I think COVID gave them. Let, let's use COVID as the gap. That, that allowed firms to think. I had a, a, one of the management, managing partners, a pretty good sized firm tell me, we packed into three months what we've been thinking about for three years. And I think that kind of said it all. And so people had to step back and say, you know, um, 
I mean, things that you saw coming about a clients, small clients, big clients, and everything in between were demanding more from their client, their, their accounting servers. They wanted more from them, not just an audit or a tax return. In fact, it's part of the puzzle, but it was never the answer to the puzzle. And I think that's what's been fun is they're really, and, and, and then you add to it all these, these tools that are developing, the technology tools, the, the thinking, thought-provoking tools that are out there. I think it's just creating a lot of shifting around and evaluation of how to make a better firm. And, and so I think there's a lot of people, a lot of firms trying to make a better firm. And a lot of them are succeeding. I mean, there are, a lot of them are doing very well, figuring it out, saying, hey, th- th- you know, what's interesting is I know they know they've been, they've had these gaps of things they've been doing wrong, but sometimes it's so hard to stop them because you've got so much forward momentum and forward momentum may mean that, you know, profits fall, you make less money, you make more investments. And so there's, you see more mergers. So it's really been there, there's a big pot with a big swizzle straw in it that's stirring it all up all the time. I think people are, there's a lot of people having a lot of fun. There's a lot of people going, oh my God, what's going on? Okay, so that's the other end. You've seen good, bad firms in different firms, Terry. What do you feel separates the good ones from the great? Um, you know, actually, I thought about this a lot too. I think leadership and I think, um, I'll say this I, Lee, I, I, I gave a, just gave a talk on leaders versus bosses. There's a lot of good bosses. There are very few good leaders. There can be leaders that are bosses, but, but so a lot of times in the profession, they took guys that were, and, and gals that were good accountants, did a great job of client service. They became good bosses. Didn't necessarily make them great leaders. Okay. And, and uh, I think the difference is they're the firms that have great leadership, have, have better than average leadership out there are being successful. It, the other firms have good bosses and are doing okay, but the ones I see that are rising to the top are the people that have good leaders and good leadership. And when we talk about good leaders, the question is often asked, are they born or made? Uh, you and I were speaking off camera about the professional development that accountants go through these days, and it used to be provided by the associations and the the, the local ones, but there's so many third-party providers out there that are offering leadership and people like a lineal organizations there are offering programs. So um, can we train leaders to be better leaders? So I've thought about this a great deal too. I, I was asked to write a forward for a friend of mine who was doing a book on leadership. And I thought about it and I, I came back and I, and, and I came back and I said, you know, I thought about this of the, and he, and, and what started this is he asked me to name three of the best leaders I'd ever known. Okay. Oh, wow. And so I thought about it through, and why, and, and, and it became in my own mind, not only who they were, but why they were, I consider them great leaders. And so what I decided was you can enhance a great leader, but you can't make a great leader. Okay. That may, I think, I think you can make a great boss, but I don't think you can make a great leader, but you, can you, can you enhance their skills? Can you give them thought provoking ideas? Absolutely. I like that distinction. Yeah. And so I, I went back to him and, and, and I said, you know what, you're not going to like this. And I said, I said, he said, Terry, I, I can't have you write the forward and say that because my book's about developing leaders. But, <laughs> but, but, but he, and, he and I kind of privately agreed that, you know, the people that we knew that were the best leaders, they seemed to, you know, people gravitate, you know, you, if you've been in a room, people gravitate to them, right? I mean, they, and, and, can, can the, and, and, and what makes a great leader sometimes is they sit, they sit in a session and they'll get two or three really good ideas they want to take back and implement. But, you know, you're not going to teach a person to be a leader. Okay, you can't. Okay, I did my. So that's that's kind of my my thinking about that. 
It's a very good answer. And you've held many leadership positions. Would you say, too, that there are different kinds of leaders? There are different ways of getting it right? You know what? Absolutely. And you couldn't have said that better. As you, And as you mature, you look at leadership differently and what you should be doing. Uh, I, I, I Somebody asked me a question today, and I said, you know, one of the things people always said, always treat people like you like you want to be treated. And I said, you know, I've come up with a better solution, a better answer to that. I said, treat people like you'd like your children treated. Okay. And, and that way you can become a better leader. If once you start valuing people and, you know, holding them in your hands, you know, being fair, being stern, but at the same time, you know, and then you have to be, you have another, another kind of phase of mine was I, all these people who did strategic planning, because it was a thing to do and they get the big books and they put them up on the shelf and never look at them. Strategic planning is dynamic. Okay. And it's, it couldn't be any more dynamic than it is today, by the way, and get into something, get out and be smart enough to get out of it, evaluate it. And, you know, but don't be afraid to step up. That's what I said when, when we were talking earlier is don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to invest in mistakes. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Obviously I agree with you, but accountants as a breed, <laughs> they are risk averse. They are all about the numbers and black and white and things are right or wrong. And we don't take any risks. So that's hard to bring in that kind of culture, isn't it? That you are allowed to make a mistake. And, and as uh, people talk to me, they want to start working with accountants. And I'd say, you know, I'm going to say this and I believe it is they're kind of a different breed within themselves. And that's because they, they, they give great advice to clients, but take little advice themselves and uh, they can manage somebody else's business, but don't manage their own very well. And I said, you can go a long list, a list, maybe 20 things, 20 items long. And I said, to characterize them. So when you get into the field, remember that what you're talking to, they maybe act like they're agreeing with you, but, and they are agreeing with you. That doesn't mean they're going to implement it because one of the things are, we still divide things by the number of partners. So, you know, profitability is a big question and uh, they're always afraid to make investments. And, uh, and so I said, you know, that's the part, like you said, they're risk adverse. They don't want to do things wrong. We were talking about there being shortage of people and looking for solutions. And I was offering a guy some solutions to it. And the next thing I know, he was back on campus recruiting again. So, you know, I mean, you can't break old habits either. Things that have worked. And, and I can assure you that things that have worked in the past are not necessarily going to work in the future. And they're, they're going to work, but not work as completely as they used to. That's a really good point because best practice is so much harder to define now. What used to work doesn't work. And strategy for leaders is difficult because how can you predict what's happening in 12 months, let alone two, three, five years? So is it harder being a leader now than it used to be? I, I think so. And I think that the list gets smaller now. When And that, that, that separation now, that's where that separation between a boss and a leader gets to be very important, okay? A leader knows, uh, we were talking, yeah, I have these little techniques. If I were to get an idea on the way to work, I would put a flip chart in the, in the corner of my office and I would go in and I'd write it down real quickly. And the reason I did that is because I wanted to look at it every day. You know, and I, I, I it doesn't mean it was a, an absolute thing I was going to implement, but I, I'd write it down on the flip chart and I'd have a long, this long list. And then when people came into my office, sometimes we would just sit there in our chairs and look at the list and, and, and then we would expand on them or one day you just cross it off or whatever, because you got to be dynamic today. You've got to understand you're, you know, if I said the, the footing is gravel versus concrete, that could be true, but that's what makes it more fun. I think, I mean, you can get really good now. If you know what I mean, if you if you exercise good leadership, good vision, good strategy, you can get really good. You can get that's what I think the fun's at. So what do you feel are some of the mistakes that accounting firms are making these days or things they might perhaps not have got right, Terry, during these last few years? Well, I've always felt they don't spend enough time purely on the management about thinking about their business. In, in a talk I just gave, I suggested that that people someday go to a meeting and say, 
we're going to talk about our business, not the client, you know, how we're running our business, what we think, and, and try to spend some time on that. So I don't think accountants have spent a great deal of time trying to run and develop their own business model internally. Okay. I think that's a huge mistake. The other thing I think that people sometimes forget is actually just talked about this. I said, you know, we, you and I've been customers of somebody, right? And, and so when you're sitting in the room talking to your partners or your group of people say, as a customer, here's what I like when I go. And it's not necessarily price and things. It's what I like as a customer. And so I said, sometimes you don't think about the fact is when I'm talking to my clients and when I was in, when I was in public accounting, I would try to reflect on the fact that if I was a customer, what would I expect? And what do I like best of when I'm a customer? What do I respect when I'm a customer? And I don't think firms spend enough time on, on those internal matters as they should kind of, and then look for the ways to answer the problems. Okay. Versus being, oh, they run out and, and do something, or they think Joe, uh, Mary's firm or Joe's firm's doing something and, and they're going to immediately adapt that. Nothing wrong with that, by the way, but but do they understand their business well enough to know what they're in and how they can do it? And do they understand that you don't have, there's a lot of ways to get into the uh, your business model. Um, one time when we were talking about, uh, I lived in Champaign, Illinois, had two of the largest clinics in the U.S. in it. And, and uh, uh, we, we were trying to decide how we we're going to expand our practice. So somebody had the brave idea that we'd go to the university, which was right there in town, and get a marketing person to come in and talk to us. And the, the young lady came in and, and she was a marketing grad student. And she said, have you ever looked at your own market here and known what to do with it? Or you just decided for yourself? And all my partners kind of shook their heads and said, we've lived here forever. We know what's going on. And so I said, let's just invest in her. Let's find out what she comes back with. And she came back and said, you know, the largest, the largest company in town is the university. You probably don't want that as a client. She said, the next largest is the healthcare industry with these two large clinics where you do all the doctors, you don't do any clinic work. And she said, and everybody looks around the room and goes, she's right. And so accepting that third party advice to clear our heads and say, that person just made sense because everybody sat there originally and said, we got this figured out. We know what we're doing. We know how to do it. We've been here forever. Sometimes you can't see your hand in front of your face. And I think a lot of firms don't bring that outside talent in just to throw ideas and things that they can, they can rework them in the background. They don't have to take and. And they don't have to take everybody's advice. And so I do. So if I said anything key is that I think that firms don't spend enough time catching their breath, evaluating where they are right now, getting advice maybe from a third party to say, these are the things internally you'll make a difference. You can probably create a lot of profit just by streamlining your internal management. There are a bunch of new tools today that do the same thing that people have been developing. I've been talking to several of them that are going to enhance and produce profit. There's new models out there. I just think there's a real opportunity now for firms to catch their breath, build, do more time internally. And just, as I said, ask this question is I'm a customer and as a customer, what do I like to see from my provider? Okay. What industry should I be in? How should I adapt to it? Maybe, it, and maybe the answer to those questions are no, no, and no, but at least you, at least you've taken time to talk about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what you should do. Terry, we're in volatile times with the consolidation, a lot of mergers and acquisitions. You mentioned your, your ex BKD. I had the privilege of, meeting with Matt Snow, now chairman of Forvis. We know the GHD BKD merger. No firms are too big to merge. There's a lot of movement going on. Talk to us a little bit about your take on that. You know what? You can see why they do it because as I was, I talked about these, I, I just spent some time with with the people from Wifley and Rick Dreyer, he's retired. And he told me that, and I was trying to get a handle on why all the merger activity and why, and it really does eliminate a lot of duplication of expenses, Okay. And I think the key thing here is, can someone leave their ego at the door 
And can they identify someone in the in the merger that can be the leader without feeling taken over? You, you know what I mean? You don't want to ever feel taken over. So what I think mergers do for people is it makes them it, it gives them the financial capacity to be more competitive. Okay, now, now smaller firms, maybe it answers a lot of ills about when I retire, what's going to happen. But I think in the larger basis is it allows these larger firms to merge, eliminate a lot of duplication of expenses and become more competitive in the marketplace. And I think answer a lot more client, serious client problems. Okay, because clients are asking, I think customers, our clients are asking a lot more from us today than they used to. A lot more complexities are getting answered by by accountants. You know, it's that it's something we talked about 20 years ago, being the confidant counselor, the trusted advisor. That's a very important role. And it's very important for now to embrace that concept, to realize that clients will now come to you for their very complex solutions because smaller companies are going global. Smaller companies are embracing technology. Smaller companies are are doing things that only larger companies did did 30, 40 years ago, 20 years ago. Well, smaller firms are plugging into networks like Praxity and, and DFK and Alineal because they need more of those international connections. The world is global, isn't it? Absolutely. And you know, the thing that I think I was just at the box convention and I mentioned, I said, sometimes you forget that. So if I'm a smaller firm and small may be 10 million today, by the way, because the smaller firms aren't as small as they used to be, but let's say you're a $5 million firm and your client, you need to understand that the larger members in some of these organizations can back you up in offering complex services. So not only international connectivity, but services that you may get asked for two or three times once during during the year, you now don't have to invest in those other than being through the membership because these firms are more than happy to come to you and provide and backstop you in providing those services. And you need to be comfortable out in front of those clients saying, I can do anything and everything for you that a large firm can. The one thing I can do better for you is I can service you hand to hand that they can't do. I can show up in five minutes if you need me. What do you make, Terry, of the introduction of private equity money and venture capital money into the accounting and fintech space? Because they're excited by it, aren't they? I'm sure they've all thought through it, okay? And, and I know they've seen the mistakes that they've made in the past. So I do think it provides the margin today to make the kinds of investments and, and cures. So when I used to merge a company in, I'd have to cure its ills over it's kind of strategically over a period of time, not just all at once. Now with the cash, I can take care of some of the, the gaps and problems that are already there and you know pay off some of the problems, buy some new solutions. And I think that's what the private equity so I get that part. The only thing I'm unclear on, so what's step B? You know, what so now I've got this equity. And so what what's step B? And and they all assure me they've understood it, but I still raise the question. So what's step B? Okay, you know, those equity people, they they've got are they just gonna trade it between among the fun, the funds? Are they gonna go public? You know, are they gonna are they going to sell to a, a larger entity that's not not an accounting group? I don't know. I mean, it's just it interests me a great deal because there's there has to be a step B eventually. And what step? And these are smart people doing smart things. So I'm sure they've got it figured out. It just I, I hear them. I just haven't figured it out myself. Terry, you're talking to firm wide leaders, managing partners, CEOs all the time. What do you get a sense of uh, top of their lists when it comes to their priorities and what's keeping them up at night? You already hit them on some of the topics is dynamic leadership for sure. Being able to lead in, a, in an environment that's that's got to have changes in it. See, I think accountants have always known, Rob, that there have to be changes made. The, the, the scary part is when to make the changes. Well, they're not always known for their agility, too, accountants, are they, Terry? I mean, that's it. So, so I think what keeps them up at night is they can see all these things. So I want to keep my firm's partner's income 
on the rise. I want to invest strategically in all the important things, okay, that I need to invest in technology wise, maybe service quarters that I need to be in. And so I think it's gotten pretty complex. And a lot of them may even have clients to serve still. Okay. And and, and some of those are important clients. So I, I think that and, and they've got an old model to age out of where that may mean paying the aging partners off, right? The retiring partners. So the environment's become more complex. And so where it used to, I think when it was one or two things that might keep them up at night, they probably still went to bed. Now I think it, I think the, the dragon has a lot of heads that have to be dealt with. Okay. And it's, I think it's actually more fun. You show no signs of slowing down. There's a glint in your eye. But I think about what is on the agendas for Fenwar leaders now. You've got things that we weren't talking about years ago. Diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, ESG, environmental and social governance, cybersecurity, all of these things going on. It's it's a myriad of challenges to overcome. Sustainability, right? You got it. That's, that's yeah, you got to have. I mean, there's always there's there's things that have always been there in the shadows, and I think accountants have worked on by them. And I think I said COVID caused enough of a hiccup. They said it's really time to start dealing with them. The problem is they're large, and, and why they probably haven't been dealt with, Rob, is they're large problems. Okay, they're systematic problems. Okay, and, and so I, but but I think if you're good at your job and you like your job, you're going to get excited every day when you go to work. You're going to say. Look how much fun I'm going to have today. Well, when we talk about large problems, Terry, we kind of skip the talent, the, the labor shortage. Uh, you speak a lot about this. I know you've got some thoughts. That's on the agendas of firm-wide leaders, isn't it? And there's a lot of tools out there to build a more foundational model. And and it's been interesting to me. It's 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 providing the uh, processing centers that, that might be in uh, India, might be in the Philippines, might be in other countries, okay, that build a processing center. Maybe it's finding alternative labor sources. There's, there's companies now providing an upper labor labor force now. So you can have a core staff, you can have a staff, as a firm, you can have a core staff, you can have a staff with um, uh, that this specializes in certain areas, you know, tax strategies and things. And maybe you can supplement your labor force by using a processing center that's overseas or, or wherever, maybe it can even be here if it's changed, or finding a center, there's there's people providing an upper level talent that they, you can do on a, uh, like a faucet, turn it on and off. That's kind of fun to deal with. So we talked a lot about the leaders today, Terry, and you were placed to comment on that. But the people lower down, uh, what do you feel are the key skills and attributes that they need, the CPAs, the accountants of today, to stay relevant and competitive? <laughs> Boy, why, why are you laughing at that? <laughs> well, because you know, I, 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 it was funny because I. Uh, my son at my son who works at Wells Fargo uh, is a uh, and works in the high the high volume area where they do they do swaps and things like that and he had he, he got a he got an older fashioned leader who had asked him and, and said to him you know Brent we need to have you start visiting your clients and he and he called me and with a little frustration and perhaps that anger that comes from frustration and said I said, well, first of all, I said, you're going to do what your boss asked you to. Okay, you're going to do that. So once a month, he has to go visit his best clients. And then he said, but I've got five computer screens. I'm texting my cell phone, you know, this and that. I said, I get all that. And I said, but I said, um, there are people like me who lead companies who still want to look you in the eye. And I said, and I said, so as long as that side of the market, I said, someday those people in those positions are going to be people that are in your peer group. And they're going to be very happy with a text message from you. So he goes to his first session. He comes back and goes, you're absolutely right. He said, you know, I met my largest client in New York City. He said he talked about everything but business. I know about his family. He knows about mine. And he said, you know what? I feel like um we know each other now. And I said, that's the difference today. And that's what people can't forget how to take those old solid base fundamental skills, what are just 
meeting people face-to-face, getting out and meeting your clients, leading your people, and blend them together with all the new things, like you said, diversity with, with sustainability and things, and make it work. So I think that that new people need to understand all these new questions they've got on diversity, sustainability, technology, and things, but not forget there's still a lot of older skills they need to understand that still are in play and still still need and still are very viable and how to put those together. That's a wonderful answer. I always said that a measure of trust with your clients is the degree to which you're you're okay talking to them about nothing to do with business and how long you can do that. But we find we find these days that trust is at a premium. Trust in the government is at an all-time low. Trust in the judicial system, trust in professional services, trust in experts, trust in influencers. What's your take on trust these days? You know, isn't that the foundation of everything? I think. I mean, I think that's really at the foundation of everything, Rob. I said it, it and that and that's what made. I, I think when I was working in a smaller firm, the th- one thing I learned is, it it, it not only was it the trust with your you develop with your clients and your friends but also among your partners and your staff, they need to trust that every day you're getting up, you're going to make, try to make it better. Okay. And, you know, I, I always operated I me mean, when I was running a lineal, I, <clears throat> the one thing people told me said, we really appreciate you kept your, your door open for anything, even bad ideas, you know, or, or maybe just complaints or whatever. And I said, that's what you do when you work with people, they trust you, you trust them. And, you know, I said, I always reserve the right. And I had an interesting thing. I said, I said, you know, we'll, we can have a discussion. I can give you my input. And I said, but I reserve the right to be wrong. And so I can come back down the hallway and tell you, I thought about it further. And guess what? You know, this idea may be better. The other thing I just told somebody was, you know what? I said, the thing I had to learn as a leader is there are 10 ways to do everything. And I have to be receptive to all 10 of them. Okay. And and not just my own way. And yet, you know, you still got to be able to do it your own way if you have to. Okay. I mean, you got to be able to put your foot down. But I said, the thing I'd go back to the room and say, well, I wouldn't have done it that way, but it'll get done and it'll get done in a way that'll be acceptable to everybody. So I think that flexibility. So I do think new people have to embrace a lot of the old principles, but bring all these new ideas, these new exciting ideas and new things that are out there. They're going to help make them great in the future. One of the things that professionals these days have to embrace is the technology. We've had Randy Johnston on the show. You, I bet you know Randy Johnston. He's wrote most of the software for the big firms. And and like him, you seem to take an interest in the technology and stay current because these days CPAs, they need to do more than know how to turn a computer on and off. Technology is changing the game, isn't it? I'm finally seeing a lot of tools now that are ironing out the gaps that people have. Like I, I'm, working, I'm working with a firm uh, company now that, that has taken the partner out of the billing cycle by using the, by using artificial intelligence. And I really like it. I mean, I mean is, is it perfect yet? No, but the idea now that it can be automated and and the partner doesn't have to spend then three days a month billing, you know, and, and, and running around the room getting stuff or trying to find another person to do it for you. And so I, I said, there's all these little holes and dips and curves and used to have in your practice group. People are beginning to iron out with technology. Okay. And I really, I mean, it, it's time to do that, by the way. It's time. Wonderful talking to you today and getting some nuggets of your wisdom that you share. We must have you back and talk some more. There's so much I'd love to go into with you, but let's get your crystal ball out just to wrap things up here. We've seen such huge change over the last few years, perhaps unprecedented change, but we know that a slower day is not coming. Things are only going to get faster and more complex. What do you see coming up for the accounting profession over the next few years? I think, I mean, first of all, uh, I really think technology is going to have, have its way. It, what you see now in technology to enhance firms and what firms can do is just a part of the future. It's going to become a bigger wave and it's going to become more automated. Wait, let, let me ask you, is technology taking over accountancy? Are the robots coming? What do you mean by that exactly? As I kind of allude to earlier, it's going to smooth out the bumps. 
So there's accounting firms have a lot of bumps. Well, don't I do think the people shortage is going to cause firms to reflect on, you know, it used to be the answer, we'll just cut the clients. We won't do these, we won't do C clients, we won't do this, we won't do that. I think they're gonna find a way to do it all. Okay. And and I do think that technology is going to iron out those bumps. And I'm seeing a lot of it. I think there's going to be alternative workforces that will do this. And so I I don't I I don't see the horizon on those models yet. I just see those models continually to improve until they get to the place where uh, it, it's a mature model. I won't say a perfect model, but a, but certainly a mature model that they can rely on how it should be. Because everybody's kind of using the these offshore processing centers different. The, there's people using these third-party providers of experienced staff differently. And I, I do think that that's all going to continue to come to a head to where it's got more. I think the the technology that you've seen at those early stages is going to continue to improve where, to your point is, um, maybe, maybe, you know, uh, it does eliminate some need for some people, you know, maybe it does. I don't know. That'd be, it would be robotic. You remember when, when tax software evolved from people, you know, it, it, it took over, right? Did it replace a bunch of people? Yeah, kind of. I, I see maybe the government playing a bigger role. I know there's a lot of countries now where the government prepares the individual tax returns. And maybe that's a bigger, maybe that's a change that's going to be in the future too. It'll continue to be exciting and electric. We'll see. But I think, I think they're going to see continual improvement of what's today's in its early stages. And, and, and that's probably not the nearest of future, but it's certainly not the distant, distant future either. So, And Terry, I've got to ask you before we let you go, you spent a lot of time in the association network alliance space with Alineal. What's coming up for those guys? Much consolidation, a lot of change there or more of the same? I think that, and so this is, I, as you probably know, I'm, I'm doing strategic and growth consulting with Box International. The thing that I interceded with them was they need to start listening. Um, they need to pay attention to what their members want and then design their model to fit what the members want. And they're the early stages enough that they can do that and, uh, and, and know what members. And that goes from clients, the clients of the members, to the members, to the associations. Those that can't adapt to that model won't have a place. I mean, they have members, but they want to, you know, I used to tell people there were companies I saw where they would come to work, but they were really out of business. Okay. And uh, some of those, they may still have members, but they may be out of business in terms of what's going to, because um, there are so many consultants doing what we did at Alineal before, but there's some things they can't do. And, and I think you need to ask the members every day if I get them in the box. People, we just got back from their session. Biggest question is, so what do your clients need from you? And what do you need from box to make this work? Okay. And, and, and these guys came back with these copious back. We, I just exchanged some emails back and forth with them saying, this is what I heard too. This is what I heard. And I think, so you'll see consolidation. You also may see some that are in business that are really not, not in business. Okay. You know, they're working every day, but they're not in the business anymore. Terry Snyder, it's been wonderful speaking to you today and an honor. Thanks so much for your time, your passion as always, and your insights. We appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, Rob. Thanks very much. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast.